Christians and 1 Samuel chapter 8 uh, to chapter 10 describes that. And this king was, what was his name? Of, well, his name was Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. No man had a better start as ruler than him. He was an impressive young man. In high school, he would have been voted the most likely to succeed. Tall, handsome, a born leader. If he was a car in the parking lot, forget the Ford or the Holden, he was the Ferrari. And for a while, everything was going really well. But slowly, a serious, some character flaws started to emerge. There was an impulsive streak that made him act without thinking. And these were not minor things, but rather important, like a deliberate disregard for God's instructions. He was disobedient. And because of this, Saul turned out to be a failure and God rejected. Verses 10. This is what we read in chapter 15, verses 10 to 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. This is because before that, word came to Saul in chapter 13, verse 14, but now your kingdom will not endure The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. So no wonder that Samuel weeps for Saul. He weeps for himself. He weeps for the nation of Israel. He was attached to the guy. And as far as Samuel is concerned, there's no succession plan. No one on the horizon who could... Take on the job. What are we going to do now? But you see, God is already ahead of the game and he wants Samuel to know that. And in verses 1 to 5, moving on, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way, I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So God tells his prophet, the prophet was God's spokesman, it is time to put aside your grief and to move on. As mortal humans We tend to get attached to the leaders and those who have been part of our lives. It's it's natural to do that. Schools get attached to principals. Churches get attached to pastors. Nations get attached to prime ministers. And so on. 
But let's be honest. History moves on. And it moves on at an unrelenting pace. And as you get older, you realise how quickly things move. And furthermore, redemptive history continues to march on under God's sovereign rule. Therefore, Samuel had to fill a horn with oil and go to the humble town of Bethlehem, to the home of Jesse, where God says, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And at last... This is the fulfilment of prophecy that went all the way back to Genesis. If you recall in our series in Genesis, chapter 49, as, as, as Jacob, the dying Jacob, is blessing his children, he has a word for each of them. From Judah, this is the way he came to Judah, this is what he said. He said, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. All this, of course, fulfilled in the perfect king who would eventually come a thousand years later, after David. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, To a small town like Bethlehem, the fact that uh, the prophet, the big dude, the prophet Samuel was coming to town was a big deal. But rather than being all welcoming and excited about the prospect, the, the elders of the town, they were rather apprehensive. They were a little worried because, you see, when a prophet came to town, it wasn't always a positive message. Sometimes it was a word of judgment. Sometimes it was a warning. But when Samuel said, they asked him, so they said, well, are you bringing good news? Are you bringing bad And they said, no, no, I'll come in peace. It's all good. It's all good. So they said, okay. He was welcome. And all the preparations were made for the sacrifice to the Lord. And of course, Jesse and his sons were invited to attend. So God tells Samuel, his prophet, to go somewhere out of all of Israel, he's to go to Bethlehem, so that narrows it down. Then he says, make sure that Jesse and his sons are, so that narrows the, 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 the person, the, the family that this was going to be happening to. But he didn't tell him his choice, how it would be revealed. He didn't give him a name, didn't give him an age, what order in in the family. Just go to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, and the rest will be made clear to you. If you've been a a Christian for a while, you would have noticed that uh, God does not reveal his whole grand plan to us, but just enough for us to do. It's like those uh, headlights at night. 
this day and age they have very powerful headlights when you're driving and they tend to light up the whole countryside, right? But the old days, uh, you had the headlights just, you know, just a few metres in front of you. So don't drive too fast. And I think that's a bit like our life, our Christian life is. We, we just see enough ahead, but not too far. Because, you see, God gives us an instruction and just enough for us to do. Our responsibility is to be obedient with that. And we're not happy with that. We want to look further ahead. We want to we make plans for next year and the year after and, and to have this jolly big grand vision. You know what it was like, telling your kids just to get in the car and let's go? No. The kids will ask, Dad, where are we going? I want to know. But God is more like, let's just get in the car and let's go. For some, like the Apostle Paul, God's will will be like a flash of light. This grand epiphany, the display of God's glory that blinded him, that's how bright it was. But for others, God's will is more like a sunrise that slowly rises and becomes revealing itself and brighter and clearer, revealing itself a little bit at a time. But even for Paul, just going back to Paul, uh, after his Damascus Road experience, he was told to get up and go into Damascus and there he would be told what to do. He wasn't told everything just there when the flash of light appeared, when Jesus appeared to him. He says, no, you go there and I will reveal my my will in your life as, as we go along. No big plans just yet, but just enough for him to handle and to show obedience. When God wants to prepare us for bigger things, he first teaches us to be faithful in the small things. If you want to know God's will for tomorrow, good advice is get up, for starters, wash your face, have a good breakfast, Pray, read the word, then go out and do God's will for today. Then you will discover God's will for tomorrow. Because if you are not faithful with small things, how will you be entrusted with greater things? There's a lesson there, isn't there? Verses 6 to 10, we're looking, we are looking at the heart. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, 
People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then, of course, we go to the other kids. Uh, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. And Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse made Shammah pass in front of him. Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Seven of his sons paraded before. But Samuel said to them, the Lord has not chosen any of these. It appears that It appears that, um, for one thing, Jesse had a few sons. (laughs) One of my uh, aunts, um, she gave birth to um, eight boys. Eight boys, two sets of twins. All of them boys. Same number, eight. And and one by one, the, the brothers anxiously parade in front of the prophet. You know? Oh, there's a bird. Oh, okay. All creatures great and small, that's right. Oh, thank you. Of course, in the, the, uh, the dove is a sign of the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> so, after that... Harder to... Exactly. Um, so, one by one, these, these boys are paraded in front, of, uh, in front of Samuel. No, not him. No, not him. And, and Samuel, I think, is, is falling for the same mistake that he fell when he anointed Saul. He should have learned from his experience with Saul with regards to external appearances. He, he appears to be falling for the same mistake that the nation had made earlier. He also, Samuel himself, the prophet, wanted, he was looking for someone who looked the part to be king. Because, you see, we, we tend to be like that. We, we tend to be impressed by outward success and looks and appearance. In this age of social media, appearance, wow, you know. Money, power, education, natural talent. In fact, talent scouts uh, get paid big money to sign up gifted players for the big clubs at an early age. Everybody's looking for the next big thing. We tend to elect our parliamentarians based on their looks, educational background and other criteria like influence, how they're going to get things done. Even in churches, we have a tendency to pay attention to how people look on the outside. While these things are not unimportant, I suppose, their merit was only 
secondary because there is a higher something, something deeper that God looks at and that is the heart. And, and, and this is the case when the Lord chose David. In fact, David had few of the external things that we look at. As God told Samuel, the important qualities for a good ruler, they lie where? They lie within the heart. And while we're at it, maybe we should ask also, what was wrong with the seven brothers, the other seven brothers? What was wrong with them? Nothing really. They were all from the tribe of Judah. They would have fitted the prophecy, right, from the tribe of Judah with their own gifts and their own talents, I'm sure. And the text here doesn't say anything negative about them. I know, later on they get a little bit obnoxious, particularly when this little boy comes to bring them lunch while they're confronted by Goliath. And they, you know, a little bit obnoxious towards David. But, but here they, they are fine, the rest of the brothers. But God had his man chosen. And in verses 11 to 13, empowered by the Spirit. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is feeding, he is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. So after all the boys on display, they marched on. None of them were selected. There must have been this uneasy feeling right there with everyone, including Samuel. This is why he asks, are these all the sons that you have? And in response, Jesse says something a little strange, something like, yeah, 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 they're still the youngest, uh, you know, and he's out, he's out with the sheep, meaning he's just a kid, really doesn't count for much. But the order is given. Go fetch Go and get him. This is like a Cinderella plot, right? So they do that. And in comes David from the pastures, scruffy looking kid who hasn't had time to wash up or change clothes and he smells very much like he's been hanging around sheep. You know what sheep smell like. Having said all that, he, he had some things going for him. It says here he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So while he wasn't a Ferrari, he was certainly a good-looking Toyota Corolla. Huh? It's all right. It'll get you around. So there stands the future king of Israel. Maybe he's 15, 16 years of age, humble shepherd, doesn't look like a king. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God has 
He's man. And when God wanted to raise up a king whose name would last for 3,000 years, he went out in a pasture and found a shepherd whose heart was open to him. That's the lesson. Many years later, many years later, already in the palace, King David paused to reflect on God's goodness in his life. And he wrote many, many psalms as we know and our first reading this morning was from Psalm 139. Let me read it for you again. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, this is an amazing bit here, your eyes saw my unformed body. That's the, that's the omniscience of God. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. There's no chance with God. There's no accident. There's no luck. None of that. It's no coincidence. As we say, it's all God incidents. I wonder if you see your life like that. Then the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And Samuel doesn't protest or object. He does exactly what God told him to do. And the act, of course... What Samuel did in anointing him with the oil, he didn't make him king straight away at that particular moment. In fact, I'm not even sure that David or anyone else knew exactly what it meant, what the whole kafafu was about. So much so that he, what happened? After, After he's anointed, he actually goes back to the paddock tending sheep. Huh? Life back to normal. And, and, and uh, i tell you one thing, his family didn't treat him any different life. You know, it's not like they, like, uh, you know, Jacob and, and Joseph with his technicolour dream coat type of thing. Oh, he's the privileged one, right? Give him a three, you sit right here, you sit at the head. No, no, none of that. But it didn't matter how they treated him. The anointing was God's way of saying, this is my man. And when the time comes, and it will, he will be my king. And more importantly, at that moment, however, something that wasn't entirely visible or obvious to anybody else who was there was the fact that God's spirit 
came on David with power. What did it look like? Well, we don't know. But it will be evident down the, down the track exactly what it looked like. Nothing much on the outside, but inside God was stirring in a powerful way and when the time was right, God would use him. There is an encouragement here, isn't there, that for those of us who perhaps wonder just what God is doing in our world right now. Let's be honest, things look pretty messed up, don't they? Pretty bleak. But let's remember that Israel's future also seemed pretty bleak when God rejected Saul. And in fact, uh, things will get a lot worse before they get better. Some sad moments were going to follow. But this passage teaches us that man's disobedience cannot stop God's ultimate plans. It doesn't matter how bad things get. God is still on the throne. So before you know, we start prejudging God's actions based on what we see now, what, based on what we see in the news, the Sovereign Lord will have his way one way or another. And back to David, the Lord found a man in David, a man after his own heart, who was the least of his brothers and a humble shepherd with no real big aspirations for life. A teenager says, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? No, I don't know. I want to be king? No, none of that. No great aspirations. But it didn't matter. Because God's hand was on him. This David was God's anointed, not because he was perfect, but because he, was, he would become very sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit. And later on in life, of course, he would be sensitive enough to know after he had messed up really badly, sinned, he would admit his guilt, repent, and God would continue to use him. May the Lord make each one of us a man or a woman after his own heart because ultimately that is what God is looking for. Men and women, boys and girls who are after God's heart, who seek to do his will, whose lives are lived for the one that really counts, to do his will. May God bless us as we seek to do his will. Amen.